Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Europe is at a critical crossroads, a continent faced with internal apertures and strife at an age of strategic competition, unanimous decision-making to steer the European vessel as a one-minded block may prove increasingly difficult ahead. This especially at a time when seeming lack of leadership among nation-states consequently emboldens both multilateral institutions as well as foreign actors who aspire to fill the expanding void. Good evening, I'm Jonathan Hessen and this is TV7 Europa Stands. Joining me for today's deliberations on Europe's state of affairs are General Klaus Naumann, who is the former Chief of General Staff of the Bundeswehr, as well as the Chairman of NATO's Military Committee. Thank you for joining us, sir. Pleasure. As well as Dr. Rafael Bardachi, who is the CEO of uh, Worldwide Strategy, who formerly served as Spanish National Security Advisor. A pleasure. Thank you for joining us as well. Colonel Richard Kemp, a former British infantry commander and head of the International Counterterrorism Intelligence Team at the British Cabinet Office, as well as Timo Soini, who is Finland's former Minister of Foreign Affairs and Deputy Premier. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And uh, I'd like to start with the question regarding to Europe's leadership on Zur- uh, in Zurich, uh, the Swiss city, on 19th September 1946. Uh, the late Sir Winston Churchill addressed the University of Zurich at the time during which he identified Franco-German reconciliation and the establishment of a European organization as conditions for peace and liberty throughout the continent, saying, the first step in the recreation of the European family must be a partnership between France and Germany. In this way, only can France recover the moral and cultural leadership of Europe. There can be no revival of Europe without a spiritually great France and a spiritually great Germany. Uh, This, of course... uh, at the time post-World War II. However, today when we're looking at Germany and France, especially with German Chancellor Angela Merkel moving out uh, from the the spotlight, opening up the the opportunity for somebody else to take over, uh, are we at a stage where the leadership of Europe is in question, General Naumann? I think we will see a phase of reorientation in the European leadership. So far, uh, Angela Merkel, I think, played an important role in keeping Europe, unfortunately, without Britain together. Uh, this f- uh, force of, uh, I say, forging compromises uh, will leave the international, or has left the international scene. What will come next, I really don't know. I assume that, in as far as Germany is concerned, the general line will remain unchanged. Uh, The SPD leader, Scholz, will more or less continue along the line of Angela Merkel in terms of foreign and security policy. There are in this, uh, to some extent, shaky coalition of three parties, the first time ever in post-war German history that three parties form a government. there will be a lot of, uh, I should say, 
conflicts, particularly in the field of defense and security. Uh, the most prominent one being the issue of nuclear participation, where the, uh, the rationale dictates to stay firm along the line which Angela Merkel has taken, not, not, not so much driven by conviction, but driven by necessity. Um, whether the three parties will be able to forge a compromise on that will be seen pretty soon, since we have to take a decision on the replacement of the aging Tornado aircraft, which are the delivery means, and this decision cannot wait much longer. It has to be taken soon, since the aircraft is, is getting older and older, and spare parts are no longer available. Indeed. Dr. Bradaki? Well, I think we are, we are witnessing a phenomenon that is spreading across Europe, which is the the lack of a strong governments, the need for governments out of the election to form up new coalitions, and coalitions are difficult to manage in some points. No? But secondly, I think we had a recent experience during the COVID management of the crisis that made everyone for himself, and that has will have a lasting uh, impression on how new leaders will take decisions in the near future, no? I'm afraid. So I think uh, we are probably in an era of, of weak or decaffeinated leaders, which uh, probably will have to face major challenges in the future, and it's up to them to be to the task. Indeed. Colonel Kemp? General Nauman mentioned that um, Angela Merkel had been instrumental, really, in keeping Europe together, except for Britain. And I think, actually, Angela Merkel and not alone, but Angela Merkel's leadership was instrumental in Britain leaving the EU, uh, as well as I'm not just I'm not contradicting what he says, but she w she was also a, I think a divisive figure in some ways, and the reason for that um, was her, and, and not just her, but her and the other political leaders in Europe and many uh, high level in in the in Brussels itself um, are so wedded to the concept of an ever. Uh, close, uh, ever closer relationship in Europe and of a European superstate, uh, which which was the principal reason why Britain left, and, and it was Merkel's adherence to that and failure to allow uh, 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 to allow um, Britain to, uh, to to maybe adapt and have a, a, a relationship with the EU, but a less close one. I think that was what led us to leave, and of course we'll see similar things happening. I think with with Poland, uh, unless of course the EU can somehow. Um, take itself away from this desire to be a superstate, and I think that's. The, I, I would say that will be the critical function of any new leader that takes over Angela Merkel in Europe is to is to try and break this desire from Brussels to to gain its power, its own power increasingly. Indeed, Mr. Soini. <coughs> I think that the first uh, important thing is to, to get the new government uh, to the Germany, and uh, it seems to me now that it will be this traffic light. A government with three different parties, and I agree with uh, General Nauman that it it will be much more modest than uh, many people would think that the, the Greens have to adopt the big line. But in in security policy, it can can mean some changes because Greens have been very sharp against Russia uh, about the criticism against uh, Russia. And then, of course, France, uh, the new presidential elections are approaching. It will uh, have a big shadow over the French policies uh, to, to the coming months. 
And it seems to me now that Mr. Macron is increasing his uh, possibilities to be re-elected because the, uh, the field is so splitted. And uh, this is the very uh, ongoing phenomena throughout the Europe that the big governments cannot be formed, that it is uh, uh, joint uh, uh, coalition governments and even more fragmented field in the, in the political line. And then, of course, the economics is the big thing. And now when the UK is, uh, is outside, it seems that there is still the tendency of the joint debt and that kind of thing in Europe. And it will be at some stage a big, uh, big uh, discussion about how, how deep in that direction we want and can go uh, in, the, in, in, in the process. Uh, and uh, in the security-wise, the, 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 the biggest thing I'm uh, uh, worried is that uh, Europe is going to be a little bit sidelined because the US uh, uh, will pay more attention to the China and, and that will mean also that we, our role is decreasing. Indeed. We'll discuss the role of Europe in this aspect uh, uh, as we progress in this program. But I'd, I'd like to hear, I heard obviously Olaf Scholz, uh, we heard uh, the uh, Emmanuel Macron who has been very vocal about his will to take the lead or succeed Merkel in a certain way. But uh, General Nauman, uh, are there other candidates at this stage who, uh, for instance, uh, Mario Draghi from uh, Italy or, or other people who have been named uh, that would potentially be able to glue Europe together? Uh, well, I believe the decisive time frame will be the French election next year. Uh, whether uh, President Macron will succeed to be re-elected or not is at this point in time not really uh, fully foreseeable. Also, I agree with you, he may be the most uh, likely candidate to win. His focus will be in the upcoming French presidency of the EU, security and defense. There he spoke of since 2017, time and again. He addressed Germany asking for appropriate answers. He never got them. That's mm -hmm. one of the mistakes of Angela Merkel, that she didn't respond uh, to uh, Macron's initiatives. Should he succeed in uh, forging a, a stronger European defense and security policy in the, during the French presidency in the next year, then we might see a new element of leadership around a French centerpiece, around Macron. And whether it will be Germany or whether it will be Italy remains to be seen. But there is a possibility that a new axis may, uh, may be formed consisting of Macron and Draghi, which of course could, in, mean, in terms of economy and finances, mean new, uh, new conflicts with Germany, since they will like to have, I should say, a distribution of uh, the debts in Europe. And that is something which the Germans will never accept. It, which also is against the German constitution. So there we have a new conflict mm. at a time in which Europe cannot afford to have internal conflicts 
since we are the, in the focus of a global conflict between China and, I should say, the West. Indeed. Dr. Bardaki? Well, from the very beginning of the European Union project, I think everything was based on the good rela and constructive relation between two powers, Paris and Berlin, or Germany and France. Uh, there had been some experiments to open <coughs> up this couple, the Europe of five, but everything, everything failed miserably in the past. So I don't see really clearly how could be any alternative to the Franco-German link to, to drive ahead the European Union. Uh, today we see the, the distinction between the South Mediterranean countries and the Central European and the North Europe. And those are going to remain for the energy crisis in the near future. So I, I, I don't see really any alternative to a good bridge between uh, France and Germany as a motor drive of the European Union, sincerely. Indeed. Colonel Cohen, that was also the reason why I read the quote from uh, Winston Churchill at the beginning. He did mention, by the way, that there is already a natural grouping in the Western Hemisphere. We have, uh, we British have our own Commonwealth of Nations separating itself or separating Britain from uh, a European Union uh, at the time. Do you see this connection between the Franco-German um, success of relations, if you will, as the cornerstone for a successful Europe? Or is there a possibility for Italy and France uh, gluing Europe to a certain degree, <coughs> which would then consequently uh, drive Germany once again away? And I, I, I think I agree with uh, what uh, Dr. Badaji said, which is that uh, it really has to be France and Germany or France or Germany. Um, and and you, what you didn't mention in Churchill's quote was that he also said Britain would support um, a European Union but would never be a member of it. And, and it, Britain's role was different. It wasn't to be an integral part of, of the EU. So I think, I think that stays, that remains true. Um, he obviously wasn't talking about the EU as we know it today, but he's talking about a, Euro a union in Europe. Um, <clears throat> but I think, uh, the, as, as General Nauman says, uh, if, if uh, President Macron makes European defence and security a, a, a sort of more, a stronger element of the EU as the centrepiece of his leadership if he becomes leader of the EU, I think that's a very dangerous thing to do because I do believe it would significantly undermine NATO and would achieve very little. So I think that, and I, I do agree that it's likely to be Macron if anyone is leading the EU, but I think that would be a, a, a fundamental error of policy. Indeed. Uh, Mr. One moment, Mr. Yeah. Uh, Soini. Uh, I think that uh, on the longer run, uh, the only possibility is, uh, is that uh, Germany is sitting in the driving seat what comes to the economics. And uh, I, I really hope that its sound basis of economics will prevail because on the longer run, it would uh, cause uh, unrest in the so-called net payers camp if they don't see the benefits. So I understand the solidarity that sometimes when there is a crisis, we should help those who, who need help, but we cannot uh, create uh, sustaining uh, uh, structures that uh, that some of the countries wouldn't make the the necessary uh, arrangements uh, with their uh, capability to compete and everything else and and that is what I'm uh, 
concerning the economical level. But the political leadership is very important because people need, uh, need to understand that they are uh, national leaders, but also internationally people who can speak out the European stand of the issues which concerns the whole mind, mankind. General Norman. I just want to come back to what Richard just said on uh, Britain being left out in a French-led uh, security debate. That is nothing which the Germans would like to go along with. Uh, the Germans have always said, we need Britain aboard if we want to achieve a European security capability which really matters yeah. and which keeps the United States of America linked to Europe. That is one of the yeah. elements which is really fundamental in German thinking. Uh, we know that there is no security for Europe without the United States of America. And as the United States turn their attention to Asia, we know that we have to make a contribution which is so essential for the Americans that they want to stay connected to Europe. And that, that is the reason why we want to take more responsibility in Europe, uh, let's say, by taking care of the African coastline, by taking care or, or taking more care of the uh, Middle East and the wider Middle East in order to make it easier for the Americans to see the, the Europeans as a useful instrument in the overall strategic global equation. With that being said, however, now that we're communicating about uh, the, the prospects of Macron taking over, uh, the rivalry and the frustrations between France and Britain which are not at the, the most positive side of, of the equation, uh, may impact this relationship between France uh, and the European Union as a bloc and Britain. Uh, Colonel Kemp, if you'd like to open with that. We, <coughs> France is our traditional enemies, we, we know that. <laughs> but having said that, having made that obligatory comment, um, we, we have a, a strong defence relationship with France. Britain and France have close military relationships and have done for many years, and they've been renewed recently. We cooperate in a lot of it, things on a lot of areas. And, of course, there are problems that we have between our two countries as well. And I think one of them, of course, was the, 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 uh, the decision over AUKUS to, yeah. um, to, to replace a French submarines, nuclear submarines, with, with American-British nuclear submarines, which obviously the French held us at least partially responsible for that decision. And there is the issue over, um, over French fish, fishing in British waters, which is obviously boiling away at the moment. Um, but I, I, and, and a third issue, I think, which is worth mentioning, is, is the French real refusal, and I think some would argue encouragement, of um, so-called refugees crossing the channel and re refusing to prevent them leaving France, which they, in many cases, could easily do. And I think these things all feed into a, an ongoing conflict between France and Britain. But in my, in my view, none of this is going to be, I would say, strategically significant compared to both of the countries' recognitions of the threats that we, that we all face. And, and I mentioned earlier the very close military relationships between Britain and France, which I think are only going to strengthen and develop. Which is also vital to Europe, Doc, uh, Dr. Barraghi, of course. Uh, Colonel Richard Camp 
mentioned uh, the aspect of migration being a point of contention between France and uh, the UK. Nevertheless, when we really look at the situation, also in Spain right now, there is uh, quite the increase of challenges that then also consequently uh, prove to be quite challenging with regard to Islamists mm -hmm. and other uh, uh, Islamist organizations, if you will, trying to utilize this uh, flood of Close. migration uh, for terror-related activities. Uh, we saw the attack in Spain. We saw the uh, murder in, in uh, the UK and in Norway and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, unfortunately, I think uh, despite all the advances by the intelligence services across Europe, in order to control who's coming, there's still a, a, a wide gap uh, in understanding who's who. No? Uh, in the last three uh, attempts or and two attacks that we suffer from Islamists and jihadists in, in Spain, all of them came as illegal immigrants. Uh, all of them crossed the Strait of Gibraltar in uh, little boats, and all of them got uh, social security benefits just because they were migrants. Uh, in the past, we knew that the Belgians suffered attacks from also refugees, theoretically refugees, linked to the 2015 decision to open up the borders. So I think uh, we are still are far away from having full control of the flows of immigration. 90-90% are peaceful people, but there are some remnants that can make a lot of, a lot of uh, damage, even in a low level of terrorist attacks, as we, we saw in the last uh, three weeks. No? Uh, so I think we need to coordinate better I think Frontex at the European level has to do a much harder work in order to stop, prevent, and filter who is going and coming through our borders, which are now very porous. And we need to understand and be conscious that there is a higher risk of not uh, being able to control who is arriving to our soil. No? Indeed. Uh, Mr. Soini, I'd, I'd like to ask you also about this because uh, the European Union just uh, uh, recently came out with a decision that it would not fund as a block the, the physical barriers surrounding uh, yeah. uh, EU member states, something that would also, of course, uh, uh, prove challenging to then contend with uh, the influx of uh, illegal migrants. Yeah. What do you think about that? This. Uh, if, if I start with what is happening now in the Belarusian and Polish border is a typical hybrid operation which is funded by, by Belarus. And, uh, and uh, the same actually happened to Finland when the last migration crisis came. I was then in, in office and Russell let some people coming very up north on two spots. That was a kind of hybrid operation. At the same time, when the, the, the southern borders were leaking, they, they put a kind of a testing, a testing samples come to us and how, how to cope. And this is just what is now going on between the border of uh, Poland and, and Belarus. And, and uh, there will be, there are some tendencies to bring fences and everything else, but we, everybody is now looking at very, uh, how would I say, in, in, in relentless mood in that sense that, that the last figures, if I got it right, that it, it can be amount of 1,000 refugees coming uh, through the border da on daily basis and everybody knows that they are not going to stay in Poland and now when there is this, this situation between Poland uh, rule of law thing and, and this new new decision given by the European court uh, to, to fine Poland for one million per day 
this is uh, this happens at the same time and this is a potentially a political risk uh, and uh, these kind of uh, bad uh, change can happen and start with the very very small uh, small seeds so to say and and that is what i'm 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 worried about and and if i f see from the history for example like richard said that uh, that the UK was leaving. When I went to the European Parliament 2009, I met some British MEPs that they are saying, we are going to leave. leave. Nobody actually believed. And then uh, after seven years, they did leave. And, 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 and on economic crisis, it was the same kind of situation with starting with Greece and then followed by, by, by other countries, Portugal and Spain. And we, we have been carried out that relatively well concerning how big the problem is. And now we have this migration crisis, 2015. We just overcame it, but we don't still have the structures to cope the new crisis, which is actually emerging. General Nauman, how do you see uh, the, this aspect of uh, the emerging crisis on the various borders? And uh, the fact of the matter is the European Union uh, doesn't it have a certain responsibility being an institution of the member states? Of course, it claims uh, supremacy in, in all aspects, but it also has responsibilities to deal with uh, the outer security challenges, at least from a defensive perspective. Well, I agree fully with Mr. Zoni uh, when he recalled the hybrid operations in Finland in 2015. And we see now at a, at a bigger dimension the same hybrid operation uh, at the borders of Poland. Uh, the Belarus is using refugees which they transport with the state-driven Belarus airline from somewhere to, to Minsk and then transport them to the Polish or the Lithuanian border in order to penetrate the European Union's territory. Uh, they, they want to weaken Europe, they want to drive a wedge into the cohesion of uh, Europe that is clearly, in my view, clearly orchestrated by Moscow. Yeah. Uh, I cannot believe that anything which uh, Mr. Lukashenko does happens without <coughs> the blessing of Mr. Putin. So we see another attempt to weaken Europe, to drive a wedge into the cohesion of uh, the European Union. And of course, uh, Poland is also playing with fire. Uh, what they are doing is to violate one of the basic cornerstones of the European Union. We have agreed to a common order in Europe. and. Uh, it is very, for me, from my point of view, it's extremely difficult to reconcile the Polish approach towards the independence of justice uh, and the judicial system with uh, the principles of the European Union. Does they, the Poles are to some extent playing into the hands of Putin, although they do not like the Russians too much, it seems to me. Uh, how we can solve that problem? I do exactly not know uh, at this point in time. I see no proper solution, and the, the ruling of the European Court is definitely no help in extinguishing the fire. Mm -hmm. However, is the, the primacy of the European Union law 
over national law? The, the, the key aspect of, of this issue? Or does it go more into depth when we're talking about the rivalry uh, or frustrations within the European Union towards Poland, which doesn't stop there, of course. It continues also to Hungary and other nation states. Well, I think I agree entirely. I think it goes well beyond the, the cornerstone of the legal process. I think uh, there is a di clear divided, divide in Europe between the traditional European Union, pro-federalist, uh, whatever, over ever closer relationship among Europeans, and what now they are called the illiberal democracies, starting with Hungary, but also with Poland. And this cannot be uh, put aside. I think it's a, it's a central problem. But the, the issue is that the principle of the European Union has been violated uh, several times uh, for several countries. I mean, when the convergence criteria, deficit, yeah. and everything, uh, everything was very rigid to anyone except when Germany just decided not to fulfill the, the criteria. So it's, it's very difficult to show moral uh, integrity about the principles when they had been violated repeatedly yeah. in, the last, in the last year. So I think in order to explain the crisis, it has to be, go well beyond the legal aspects. Indeed, Richard, uh, I'd like to hear also your perspective on this, but if we may also continue into the energy crisis that Europe is currently faces, something that the UK is, of course, experiencing as well. Uh, it has ramifications uh, well beyond the energy sector. Uh, what do you think that needs to be done at this stage, and what are the root causes for this uh, when you look at it from a UK and a common European perspective? Yeah. <clears throat> I think, um, I mean, in terms of Looking at the strategic perspective, if you think about the uh, you know the Nord Stream two gas pipeline, um, which Germany is I think on the verge of completing. I mean it's completed I think, yeah. but on the verge of sort of sealing off and commencing operations. Um, many people are deeply concerned about that as a as a present creating a real strategic weakness for Europe, not just for Germany but the whole of Europe, and a, a dependency on Russia, which I think is deeply unwise these days, and I think almost every action and word by Putin that we hear proves the lack of wisdom of, of anything that uh, increases dependency on, on Russia. And, and I think you know, the, the solution to it, if there is a solution to that particular problem, is to look further south and to look at um, perhaps you know, gas from the Caspian Sea from Central Asia uh, and, and you know, other sources of, of, of gas to at least, if not send completely re remove the dependency on Russia to defray that dependency because I think as we you know as we progress through coming years we're going to see increasing aggression from Russia against Europe and increasing attempts in different ways to 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 basically to to fragment I was going to say the European Union but it's already fragmenting but to fragment Europe's security and Mr. Sweeney yeah I think this energy uh, energy uh, situation is is very very serious one and and if we will face a very uh, tough winter we are on the verge of shortage of energy and and, and the tap of the gas pipe is on the Russian side and uh, and if it is used now when there is a Nord Stream and then there is Ukrainian uh, soil and everything else uh, I think that uh, when we got rid of uh, the nuclear power in many countries in the Europe, we actually opened the door of this, uh, this gas uh, blackmailing stuff. And, and, and the Russia only have two strengths 
and the other is energy and the other is nuclear weapons and that is they these are the playing cards actually and and it seems to me now that putin is very clearly in the power and there is if we looked at the elections what they had there is uh, nothing uh, threatening him uh, on the longer run but the big big risk to us all is that if us is turning away from Europe and that is something which is very very serious and I think that we in Europe in big picture made a mistake that it's it was uh, wasn't only Trump and now Biden they asked uh, us to fund Finland is not a NATO country but two percent every country per year to NATO and most of the countries didn't deliver that and now we are living with those consequences of the, this and, and this is a matter of utmost seriousness and then the other thing which was the free reflections what happened to AUKUS is that uh, there is this five eyes intelligence uh, and security cooperation which uh, contains the uh, UK, New Zealand, Australia, Canada and US without that combined to our capabilities we cannot uh, defend ourselves like um, dr nauman uh, general nauman said that we need all of this general nauman well un unfortunately i have to agree with you also as far as north stream 2 is concerned uh, uh, i belong to those who criticized this decision uh, to construct this pipeline for a long time and I think it was a strategic mistake to believe that this is an economic uh, issue. It is, it was, it is, and it has always been a, a geopolitical issue, an instrument in the hands of Putin. And uh, we, sh we should, uh, I think we should listen to what Putin is saying at a recent conference, the so-called Valdai conference, which takes place every year. Uh, yeah. It's one of these few occasions where Putin speaks up and uh, one of the few occasions where he obviously doesn't lie. Um, this year he said, and that I think should be an alarm signal for all Europeans, he said, I do no longer believe in the Paris Accord of 1990, which, as you may recall, created the idea of a zone of common security from Vladivostok to Vancouver. He abrogated it and he said it's no longer of importance for me. For me it's important the agreement of Yalta of yep. 1943. And that means, we should, not, we should not have any illusions, that means that he wants to create a security belt, as Yalta said, from Italy to the Baltic states, a buffer zone in front of Russia. That would be the end of all European illusions. That would be the end of all ideas of cooperation with Russia. And that we have to have in mind. If we have clarity about our opponent's views, we can then take the appropriate steps. And that would also mean, first of all, to do more for European defense, uh, and secondly, we have to stick to our per, uh, pre, uh, present formula of nuclear participation. Without that, we will not get any security against Russia. 
Indeed, uh, Dr. Baradaki, there is also, of course, the Spanish pipeline yes. that is coming in from Morocco and Algeria, uh, Algeria that is going to be blocked, uh, something that will impact Spain in particular, but Europe also at large, and will increase dependency on Russia beyond that, uh, especially at a time when the East Med pipeline uh, that is supposed to be constructed between Cyprus, Greece, and Israel uh, is not even in the preliminary stages of uh, construction. Uh, How do you see that? I think you're right in the sense that independent of what Putin may do or don't, uh, uh, I, I think the southern European countries are dependent on North Africa gas. Morocco has closed down the pipeline, uh, or will close uh, at the end of this month, and only Algeria will, will export in gas in a liquefied manner, so you have to transport it from uh, with uh, vessels. Uh, mm -hmm. That will create a, a, a gap in the needs and the requirements and the, and the capacity to to bring gas from North Africa. So, but that is our own responsibility. We decided years ago to phase out all nuclear power in Europe, basically, or most of the countries, and we are now placing, uh, paying the, the price tag. No, and we are totally dependent from the north or the south. Yeah. unable to produce our own capabilities in energy, you know, and that's, that's the reality and that's the strategic decision that should be reviewed as soon as possible unless we want to go through our cold winter this year and the coming years. No? Indeed. Well, uh, there is, of course, also the angle that we're speaking about. The Eastern Mediterranean has uh, uh, seen uh, plenty of tensions uh, as of late, once again, uh, with Turkey and Greece uh, uh, exchanging rhetoric uh, on uh, different fronts. Of course, Turkey uh, has also put on notice, or if uh, we can even call it that way, declaring 10 ambassadors, the majority of which are European ambassadors, persona non grata, and yeah. we see a significant and alarming uh, escalation, if you will, in the relations between R Russia and NATO, and now the, the strengthening of connections between Russia and Turkey, with Turkey slowly sliding towards the Eastern Bloc rather than the Western Bloc. General Nauman, is this something that uh, should trigger a certain reaction, if you will, from uh, European states? We saw already the pact, the defense pact that was established between France and Greece to try and deter a certain uh, uh, action. Is that enough? Well, I, first of all, I'm not entirely happy with this Turkish, uh, with this Greek-French defense arrangement. We, uh, we have NATO. Uh, as the agent for European security, and we managed in the past uh, to defuse crisis between Turkey and Greece. When when I took office as chairman of the military committee uh, in 1996, we had 140 air incidents between the two countries with armed aircraft every month. Uh, we got it down <coughs> to six still six too much, but nevertheless there are within NATO possibilities to deal with it. And possibly NATO should uh, play a more active role in this situation right now, since Turkey is a country which is of strategic importance for Europe. And uh, again, we see the, the game played by Putin and also the Chinese president who makes the Shanghai Corporation Organization uh, an offer for an alternative for Turkey. Um, that is something which 
we Europeans should keep in mind, and Americans as well, we must not uh, lose Turkey. And it would be, a, I think, one of the mistakes of Mr. Erdogan if he fell into this trap and joined the Shanghai Corporation Organization, where he will be a small element compared to the two, two big players, Russia and China, which is something which can you, you cannot reconcile with his uh, very uh, overblown ego uh, to be a small player. And uh, furthermore, I think Turkey should have in mind it depends economically on Europe. Uh, no one in the East could replace the European role in, for the Turkish economy. So if he wants to see the Turkish lira going beyond all dimensions, then he should go for the Shanghai Corporation organizations. But uh, I think with some sober rational thinking, he will come uh, to the proper conclusion and say, stick to the West. Indeed, but with that being said, of course, we see the Chinese being able to uh, purchase, um, if you will, significant ports uh, in Greece and elsewhere and uh, start building their uh, lines of, of uh, transport and uh, imports and exports from the European continent in Greece and other places, uh, all the while still going ahead with its own agenda. So how is that uh, a deterrent message to Turkey and other nations who are currently uh, within the Western Bloc uh, from leaving? Jonathan, there you're going back to a, to a quite, a, quite a series of mistakes. Uh, we have seen the Bridge and Road Initiative, which is nothing but building a strategic axis which uh, projects Chinese power in, into Europe. We Germans fell into this trap. The biggest uh, continental port in uh, Europe, Duisburg, is operated by Chinese. We have Chinese-operated uh, ports in Greece and Italy. Um, we have this 17 plus 1 agreement, which fortunately now Lithuania and I think a couple of other states are about to leave uh, since the expectations the Chinese have uh, triggered were not met. So we have to think through what this means and we have to think through the security is nothing which is simply focused on military capabilities. It's an all-encompassing strategy which we need to counter the Chinese attempts to really encircle Europe by this bridge and road initiative. Indeed, Colonel Kemp. I agree, and I think the um, you know the, the Europe and including Britain, of course, are waking up now to this this threat which has been with us a long time the chinese have been fighting the cold war since 1949 uh, we thought it had stopped a few years back and have been not fighting it we now need to fight it again we've they've gained too much ground in the time when we decided that we were all friends and everything was going to be fine i think going back to greece um and the Fr greek french pact uh, i think that's important and and i i disagree with general nauman i think it's 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 a, a very useful pact for the French and the Greeks to have and, you know, predominantly to deter um, uh, Turkish aggression against both of those two countries, which we've seen in recent years. But all, all, even more important, that is the recent um, renewal of the American Greek defence pact, which is, I think was just signed a few days ago, 
which also is a way of getting back at, uh, at the, the Chinese uh, encroachments on Greece. And I think the Greeks are very well aware of the mistake they made in allowing so much Chinese influence in their country. Um, and, and I think the new American uh, pact with Greece will allow, will allow the positioning of more American soldiers on Greek soil. It will allow um, the use of more American, more, more Greek bases for Americans, including ports, and, and may help at least to, uh, to push out the Chinese influence there. So I think that's a very important thing. And I do actually fear, as General Nauman kind of hinted at, I do fear the, the possibility that, um, that Turkey will pull out of NATO or put NATO in a position where it's um, extremely difficult to keep, NATO, uh, to keep Turkey as a part of NATO. I think that's a very likely possibility. I think it would be a great tragedy if that happened. But what does it signal now to uh, the, the Turks when we see this pact between the United States and Greece, the implementation of significant American bases that will obviously have to do with uh, deterring Russia and, and China to a certain degree, also uh, in the uh, eastern Mediterranean having a hot water bed f to the African continent. Uh, while Turkey uh, and uh, the U.S. are at an all-time low, there are discussions about Inchirlik being uh, uh withdrawn or pulled out uh, by the American forces. Of course, this has been ongoing for quite some time, but uh, there are ramifications to that. Dr. Barakhi? It's very difficult. Uh, let me just relay an, a little anecdote. I had a conversation with the Israeli prime minister after his trip to Beijing a few years ago, and he was very happy. And I said, why? He said, well, it's the only country that didn't ask me about the Palestinians. Uh, <laughs> but having, having said that, uh, I, I think the Chinese uh, uh, playing a different game. Clausewitz said that uh, warfare is politics by other means. According to the Chinese, warfare is politics by all means. Uh, energy, <laughs> cultural, all kind of arrangement that can be done in order to promote their strategic long-term interest. No? Uh, the second uh, article in their constitution says so. Yeah, and uh, so we are ill-suited to deal with that, no? because we are always in the short-term political cycles, our short tactical approaches to everything, while the Chinese seems to be on a longer yeah. view and uh, more persistent and consistent. Uh, but as General Nauman said, the Belt and Road is a clearly a strategic threat to our values and our freedom of movement of goods and, uh, and sea lines of communications. And somebody has to think about what China is up to now that the Americans are evaporating, no? even after Trump. The Americans are nowhere. The Europeans yeah. were enthusiastic about Biden to discover that it's transparent. There is nothing to touch on the new American administration. So we are a little bit left alone. And uh, Vancouver to Vladivostok, the shorter route is through the Pacific, and we are out of the picture. Uh, so, but there is no reflection in strategic terms, as far as I know yet, in Europe in a, on a depth that we need to challenge the, the, all, all the tentacles that the Chinese are throwing at us through Turkey or other countries. No? Indeed. But Mr. Soini, if I may, uh, when we're talking about confronting the, the Eastern challenge from Russia, the, the um, Eastern challenge from China, and, and other arising challenges that come with that, including domestic challenges, uh, how can we confront that as a European bloc or as Europe at large, if you will, if the values which uh, Europe has been founded upon are put to the test by the very institutions that created to secure it? Mm -hmm. First, I think that we need cohesion. We must be unanimous with our approach. But actually, we are not what comes to the European 
approach to Russia because of the mainly economical reasons that, uh, for example, gas and everything else. We have sanctions for what happened because of Ukraine, but they are not actually very, how would I say, workable in that sense. And we should remember that uh, both China and especially Russia, by our Finn experience, they need to be tested and confronted. They don't get uh, on the angry mood if you are defending yourself. They think that is a necessity that is natural. But if you try to, in a way, to crawl in their feet, that is really what they are despising, actually. They, they, they respect strength, also mental and military strength. And, and that is what I'm very concerned of, that uh, our approach, uh, what comes to, to, to Russia, as a European Union is uh, very uh, fragmented and, and that is, that is uh, on my, uh, my perspective, uh, is, is very, very harmful. And especially then when we look at the Baltic countries and the Poland, which are on the, on the in a way, like you said, on the buffer zone, which, which is still, uh, when you hear what uh, Putin is saying about NATO, they still think that these are buffer zone countries. They used to be under Warsaw Pact, and that is how they think about whatever we felt about it. And that is why it is so utmost, a uh, matter of utmost importance that U.S. doesn't, uh, doesn't lose its interest to Europe, because we cannot defend Baltic countries and Europe without U.S. General Nauman. Well, I, uh, again, I have to agree with you, and I think we uh, we are well advised to have a very sober look at Russia, and we should also, as we should do with China as well, we should also consider the weaknesses of these countries. Uh, Russia is not as strong as Mr. Putin believes. Yeah. Russia is an important military and nuclear power. Uh, Russia is an important exporter of raw materials, but nothing else. That's there is not a single product yeah. uh, made in Russia which is of interest in the, on the world market, yeah. except raw materials, and they all raw materials are not endless. So uh, Russia is in a situation where it may need also cooperation in the long run, and they will not get it for free from China. Oh. China may cooperate with them, but for the price of Russia being number two and not on equal footing with China. With that being said, we do see the interoperability between the two armed forces quite increasing in recent weeks, as well as uh, that with uh, Turkey, with President Recep Tayyip Erdogan already declaring that he intends to go along and, and uh, develop additional acquisitions in, above the already S-400 systems that were procured yeah. earlier. Um, well. The S-400 is, is another issue which we should debate in, in depth. It's not entirely uh, so easy to say the, the Turks violated uh, NATO agreements. Uh, but what I think what is important that we confront Russia with a, a really a common European transatlantic view and tell them there are certain borders which you should never step over. Otherwise, 
it will become very difficult for you. That's the language the Russians understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you talk to them in the soft peddling <coughs> way, then we achieve nothing. They will continue to pinprick uh, us again and again. And if they learn that we give in, they will continue with the next thicker pin. Indeed. Well, uh, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to raise one more topic, but also incorporate within that uh, your own analysis for the near future where we should uh, focus on. Uh, and I'd like to go back to a quote from Winston Churchill from that same speech in Zurich, uh, where he said, in these present days, we dwell strangely and precariously under the shield, and I even say protection, of the atomic bomb. The atomic bomb is still only in the hands of a nation, which we know will never use it except in the case, uh, in the cause of right and freedom. Uh, but it may well be that in a few years, this awful, awful agency of destruction will be widespread and that the catastrophe following from it, uh, its use by several warring nations will not only bring to an end all that we call civilization, but may possibly disintegrate the global, uh, the globe itself. Colonel Kemp, we'll start with you, uh, of course, bringing into context uh, the E3 uh, communications with the Islamic Republic of Iran on one end, the DPRK on the other hand, also being within that equation, and uh, Russia, China, they, they are increasing their capacity to uh, uh, establish more capable uh, delivery systems that threaten Europe quite uh, heavily at this stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have less concern of any of those countries, China, Russia, DPRK, compared to Iran. I mean, of course, we've got to remain vigilant and alert over um, China and Russia in particular. Um, and, and, you know, while they develop their capabilities, we have to do what we can to match their capabilities and, in, and increase their capabilities. But, but I'm not on a personal basis, I'm not overly concerned that they are um, nuclear powers that are going to immediately use their nuclear weapons. I think you can say, some, and I don't think DPRK is either, I just think DPRK is is overestimated in the, threat, the nuclear threat that it possesses. But that's not to say we shouldn't remain vigilant about it. But Iran is a different story, I think. Iran is, is um, making unprecedented moves now both breaching the NPT and the JCPOA um, to get closer and closer to its aspiration of nuclear weapons. Um, and unfortunately, Europe has gone along with that. Europe has appeased Iran for too long and continues to appease Iran. But even today, Europe is, with, you know, some European countries have been very alarmed about the latest moves from, from Iran, uh, about enrichment activities and concealment of their activities. Uh, and, and President Biden in America has been restraining that European concern because the Americans now are absolutely desperate to get to some kind of JCPOA again, another deal. So I think, he, you know, for once, Europe is a bit more um, acting a bit more proactively or trying to and being restrained by America. We have roughly two and a half minutes. Uh, Dr. Bairachi, shortly, please. 
for 30 years, we have been debated, ha debating how to call the period after the Cold War. And we only came with the phrase of the post-Cold War era. <laughs> now that the British Navy killed his best secret agent, James Bond, <laughs> we start living in the post-Bond era, <laughs> with all the values that, and, uh, that are upside down with that. No? And I think what we need is to seriously thinking strategically on where we are and where we want to be in the next few years. No? Because the world is changing dramatically in a fast pace. And I don't think our intellectual abilities are accompanying the rhythm of the changes. Indeed, Mr. Soini. I think also what happened in Afghanistan and, and the continue, continuous stream of uh, refugees coming uh, through Iran and uh, how that will be affected in the Europe on the longer run. Is it somehow connected to our, um, uh, how does say, how we take Iran in the broader sense? Is this mixed in the, in the more bigger picture? And it, if it is, it, it doesn't tell any good. Indeed. Well, a nation that has committed assassinations on European soil in the Netherlands, in Germany, in yeah. Denmark, and elsewhere is uh, poised on expanding and, and doing plenty of things in the Middle East, but it is on European soil. How is Europe dealing with that, General Nauman? Well, I think uh, for me the conclusion of all of that, what we discussed today, is we Europeans have to do all we can to cooperate more closely, to cope with all aspects and dimensions of security, from terrorism to nuclear threats. And we also need to understand we can only be successful if we cooperate at the same time very closely, as close as possible with the United States of America. Without the US, there is no European security. And if we agree on that, we have also to agree that we have to pay a price for that, and that means increased readiness to do what we can do for our common defense. I think it's also yeah. safe to say that without European security, there is no United States. Yes, I would go one step further. I would say without Europe on their side, the Americans will no longer be a global power. Indeed. Well, this is all the time yeah. that we have for today. I'd like to thank General Nauman, Dr. Barraki, Colonel Kemp, and Mr. Sweeney for being part of today's program. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.